Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Morning, church. How's everyone today? You good? Is good? All right. Well, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and I actually have the privilege to be taking you guys through this uh, four-week series, which we're calling Unqualified. And what we're going to be talking about in this series is how God uses unqualified and broken people to do big things for His glory and for our good when we put our faith in Him. And last week, we kicked off this series by looking at Hebrews 11, verse 1, where we looked at the definition of faith. And we came to the conclusion that faith is a reality that God is who he says he is, and he has proved it by keeping all of his promises. That's past, present, and future promises. So we can trust him with our lives no matter what happens. Right? No matter what happens in life, we can say, Jesus, I know your ways are better than mine. I may not understand this, but I'm going to trust you regardless of what we're going on. And I'm going to live my life like I believe that. We also learned that faith is not dead, but faith is alive. And what we did was we walked through James 2 a little bit to look at dead faith versus faith that's alive. Uh, true faith in Jesus will begin to change our lives and then drive us to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And all of the people mentioned in this, uh, this Hebrews chapter 11, they had that kind of faith. It was that faith in action. And, and we know that because what we'll read in a lot of these, it'll say, by faith, so-and-so did this, right? It showed their actions being put in, or their faith being put into actions. And, and those people, not only did they do that, but a lot of them had a pretty messy past, right? Before they came to Christ in their BC days, they had some pretty nasty things that had happened, just like some of us have. And those are the people that we're specifically looking at in this story. Uh, but before we go any further today, I, I want to share a story with you. And uh, it, it might be difficult because uh, my, my mother's sitting in here today, and this is more of a confession time for me. But, but I've been told that church is a safe place, so, so we're going we're gonna to stand on that. But uh, in, in, my, in my late teens, my early 20s, my friends and I, we used to uh, play this game called You Probably Won't. And as an example, uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what this game encompassed. It was, um, okay, let's say I was at the Camplex, and I'm with a friend, and I say, man, you know what would be really cool is if we could get on top of the Camplex building and then throw water balloons out from, from the top there, that'd be really great. And then a friend would look at you and say, oh, you probably won't. Okay, challenge accepted kind of thing is a say I won't. And so I'm going to go up there. And what you got to do is usually you got to pretend to be somebody who works there. You got to pretend to be a janitor so that you can get up on the roof. Well, in, in this case, like I said, in my, my late teens, uh, we used to go to Warp Tour all the time in Denver. And uh, at uh, Bronco Stadium there, they would have the parking lot filled with eight or nine different stages. And you can go watch bands all day for two or three days. It was, it was a lot of fun. 
Well, one day we're, we're here, I can't remember what year we were there, but we're watching this band and the headliners are always toward the end of the day. And so we're standing out there watching this big headlining band and it starts raining, just sideways rain. It's coming down. You see people scattering, running for their cars. Even the band is up on stage and they, they have a covering still. And they're saying, well, you know, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. Hopefully the rain will let up. And I'm standing there with my buddy, Josh, and I was like, man, I, I don't want to leave. Josh, it'd be great if we could just, uh, you know, somehow get backstage so we're not getting soaked, but then we could hang out with the bands too. And without missing a beat, Josh looks at me and goes, you probably won't. Say I won't. Game on, right? Okay, so we, we find in the, in the center, kind of like our sound booth here, you're facing, the stage is facing that sound booth. So we find this guy in the middle, and he's kind of packing some things up, this guy running sound. And uh, I go over there acting like I know what I'm talking about and say, man, we can't let this board go to waste. Toby says he wants it behind the stage right now. Let's go, let's go, and start wrapping up cable. We start unplugging things. This guy's like, okay. And so he starts loading things into his part of the cart. We're putting cases on top. And then we start wheeling this thing back behind stage. Like we start moving backstage. And I'm so excited at this point because we're going to meet all these different band members. We're going to get out of the rain. And uh, we get to the first checkpoint. And there's a, there's a security guard standing there. And uh, usually they ask to see your badge or your, your pass ticket. Well, it's coming down so much and they see other gear being moved in. And so he doesn't even do anything. He moves the barricade and we go right underneath. And so now we're standing back there with all these different band members, with the crew and everything. And uh, I, we're just hanging out. And about 15, 20 minutes later, I see this guy again. And I say, hey, man. I said, you, you want to hear something crazy? I don't even work for this tour company. And he looks at me. He said, you, you want to hear something crazy? Neither do I. And he disappeared. <laughs> I did not see him the rest of the night. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> so so I, I tell you that story this morning, not, not just because it feels good to get off my chest. Mom, I'm sorry, you raised a heathen. But because it really relates to somebody that we're going to be talking about today. Like me, this guy, he pretended to be somebody he wasn't, right? He, he put on a mask to try and fit in and to try and prove that he was somebody that he actually wasn't. And today we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Jacob from the scriptures. And, and he's really not mentioned much in the hall of faith. And that's what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of these people in the hall of faith. But he doesn't have a big section here. All it says about him is that uh, his dad, Isaac, and him, they lived in tents in a strange country. If you jump down to verse 20, it says, Isaac blessed him and his brother Esau. And then the last thing we see is in verse 21 where it says, Jacob blessed his son Joseph's kids, and then he worshiped God while leaning on his cane. So we don't get a lot of information about Joseph. So in order to get some background and see why is he even listed in the hall of faith, we need to go back to his story in Genesis chapter 25. And that's where we're going to be camping this morning. Genesis 25, starting in verse 25. While you're turning there, or while you're pulling up your Bible app, or, or if you're just waiting for me to pull it on the screen, I just want to give you a little background information on Jacob, some context of who he is. Um, Jacob's parents were Isaac and Rebekah. And they couldn't have kids. So what they did was they, they prayed to God and God made Rebecca pregnant with twins. Now, one thing I think it might be specific to uh, be, or it might, it might be worth mentioning to be specific with your prayers because maybe they didn't want twins, like two right out the bat. Maybe, maybe they wanted one and then another one later. I don't know. So be specific with your prayers. 
Uh, they became pregnant with two boys, and God told her that these two boys, they're actually not going to get along very well. They're going to not even want to be around each other, so they're going to start two separate nations. And the older son would actually serve the younger son. Now, that was actually a big deal to them. In our culture, okay, big deal. You got a firstborn and a secondborn, not a big deal. But to them, it was a huge deal. But why was that? Well, it's because the older son would always have the top priority in the family. And what would happen in that culture is that the older son would get what is called the birthright. He would get a birthright, which just basically means the firstborn son gets a double inheritance or a double portion of dad's wealth. And these two boys, they had a pretty rich dad. Isaac was a very wealthy man. And so that would mean that the firstborn would get double of what the secondborn's going to get. So the first one, he got the, he got the birthright, but he also gets what is called the blessing. And the blessing was a legal transaction of transferring leadership and authority of the entire family over to the firstborn son. And that would happen while the dad was actually on his deathbed. That would be his final thing to do, would be to transfer all of that over to the firstborn son. That's called the blessing. So in this instance, according to what God had just told them, the older one was going to serve the younger one. So the older one here, who would usually get, he'd get the birthright, he would get the blessing. He's not going to get any of that. He's not going to get any of that. He's going to miss out on what was rightfully his. And the second born in this case is going to take the cake. So keep all of that context in mind as we start reading here in Genesis 25, verse 25. It says this. The first one came out, the first son came out red looking, okay, covered with hair like a fur coat, gross, and they named him Esau. Okay, so Esau is first in the world. He's the one who should be getting the blessing and the birthright. But remember, God said that, again, the older is going to serve the younger. And Esau's name here, it literally means Harry. And it's not short for Harold, it's short for, you know, Harry. So, Harry, you knock your microphone off your head. That's how hairy this poor kid is. He's, he's red, he's hairy, and his parents are going to make sure, hey, we'll just name you that, and you're never going to get what you were named after. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand. And so they named him Jacob. And Jacob literally means that he grasps the heel. Now, apparently, it was super easy to name kids in this time. They didn't have the big book of children's names to sit there and fold pages in. No, they just, you see the first thing that comes to your mind and there you go. That's what you're going to name your kid. You know, if I was to name our oldest kid based on the first thing going through my mind, I would have probably named her covered in rolls because she came out and she's covered in fat rolls from head to toe. I remember just watching her head. She had rolls all the way down. I didn't know her eyes were underneath all those rolls until she, yeah. But we decided to name her Quinn instead, so that worked out. But let's go back to Jacob's name. He grasps the heel. His name actually has so much more meaning than the physical act of grabbing his brother's heel while he's coming out of the womb. He actually wanted to be Esau. He wanted to be the firstborn. And this was an obsession that is going to stick with him through a big portion of his life. And as we talked a little bit earlier that Jacob and Esau, they're going to be two very different guys, right? They're going to start two separate nations. And we see that really in the next set of verses here. Let's look at 27 through 28. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman. 
but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And sadly, what we see right out the gate here is just downright favoritism. We see favoritism from mom and dad because like so many siblings in a family, Jacob and Esau, they were very different from each other in personalities. They were different in taste, what they liked to do. And because of this, each parent actually had a favorite child. You know, Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. Esau was his favorite. Right? He was the masculine kind of guy. He loved to be out hunting and fishing, being in the field. He probably had a gun rack in his pickup, and he had filled and stream magazines scattered all over his tent. Right? He could kill and he could skin anything. And dad had a taste for delicious game. And so he easily became Isaac's favorite. But it also says that Jacob... And the opposite, he was a quiet man, or some of your translations may say mild or smooth-skinned, and he stayed at home. So instead of being out doing all the manly things like Esau was, he would stay back with the other women in the tents at home, hanging out with mom, helping cook and clean. You know, he was a mama's boy, just, just like me. I was a huge mama's boy growing up, so don't judge me. <laughs> Anyways, what we see right there from the beginning is that Jacob wanted to be first, right? He's grabbing onto his brother's heel. He wanted to be the firstborn of the family. He had a hard time being second, even if it was by a split second. And on top of that issue, now you have his dad letting him know, hey, I love Esau way more than I love you. You know, maybe if you were more like your brother, then I could love you more. Jacob's unqualified nature really starts to be set up here at the beginning of his life, just right out the gate. He wants to be his brother. He wants to be firstborn. And then his dad lets him know that he's not as loved or as appreciated as his older brother. And I got to thinking, how many times do we do the same things in our life, wishing that we were somebody else? You know, saying things like, man, I wish I had his money or I wish I had his kind of job. Then I would be happy with what's going on. Or, you know, maybe if I look like she did, then I could be happy with who I am finally. Or maybe if I was bigger or skinnier or taller or shorter or whatever it may be. But we've all been there. We've all been at that point in life when we wished that we were somebody else. And Jacob, he knew that feeling extremely well. And now is actually going to start living up to his name. Because remember, his name means he grasps the heel because he was holding on to Esau's heel on his way out of the womb. But in that culture, to be a heel grabber also meant that you were a liar and a deceiver. So not only did his parents name him, he grasps the heel, but Jacob, you're gonna trip people up in life. You're gonna grab them and cause them to fall on their face. So we're gonna call you a liar and a deceiver. Right? That would be somebody who would con you or, or lie to try and get what was not rightfully theirs. Someone who may pretend to be someone else to get what they wanted to get ahead in life. Sadly, we see that a lot today. And Jacob is about to do exactly those things to his older brother in verses 29 through 34. Let's take a look at this. It says, once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. And he said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That's why he also named him Edom. So Edom means red. So, okay, he's a red and hairy guy. So he's Esau and Edom, right? Okay, poor kid. But Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Ooh. 
Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and he sold his birthright to him. And then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. So at the beginning of this, we see each kid doing what they do best, right? Esau's coming in from the field. Jacob's there cooking a stew. And Esau comes in. He's actually being pretty dramatic if you look at some of the context here. He's acting like he's going to die if he doesn't eat right now. But remember, this family was extremely wealthy. And if he had just come in from the field, maybe if he took about 15 or 20 more steps, he could have went to the pantry and got him a bag of Cheetos. You know, there's always something to eat at home for that wealthy family. He wasn't starving to death. He was just starving right now. It's kind of like when you hear the kids come up to you and say, oh, I'm starving. I think I could eat a whole elephant. Could you feed me? It's like, but 10 minutes ago, I saw you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You had three bags of chips. You had some broccoli. You had 12 baby carrots, a cups of grape, a cup of grapes, half a bag of animal crackers, and 42 chicken nuggets. Like, you are not starving to death. You're being dramatic. <laughs> But even at that, Esau's thought wasn't even he was so hungry that he was going to die without food. Right? The idea was that, you know what, I'm going to die one day anyways. So what good is a birthright to me? And that's why it says right there at the end of this that Esau despised his birthright. You know, Esau didn't even care about the birthright anyways. But look at Jacob's history, right? He wanted to be the firstborn. He wanted the birthright so bad that he would do anything to get it. And this situation is where Jacob really starts living up to his name and to his unqualified nature, right? Taking advantage of his brother in this situation for his own benefit. God had already said that the older was going to serve the younger, but, you know, I don't want to wait on God's timing. I want to do it myself and get ahead of him. He sees a moment to take what he always wanted, right? That position of firstborn, that birthright. He's a trickster, a traitor, a liar, and a deceiver. And he wanted that birthright, so he finds a way to take it. However, and this is more of a, a soapbox issue, but Esau does something pretty stupid here as well. Right? He agrees to give his birthright over for some bread and some red stew. Right? If you're going to give up a double inheritance from your dad for food, you might want to choose something way better than that. I'm thinking like a nice medium rare steak and some big mashed potatoes. Or I really like buffalo wings, so like a thousand pounds of buffalo wings from Buffalo Wild Wings. That's where I would do it. Something worth it. Right? Not, not something on the all-you-can-eat appetizer menu at Olive Garden, but something actually worth it. But all in all, the first time is right here when we really see Jacob living up to his name. And sadly, it doesn't stop here. Right? He gets the birthright from Esau. He later on, he shows more of these true colors by actually taking the blessing from Esau as well. If you fast forward a bit in the life of uh, uh, Jacob, we get to a portion where Isaac is now super old. He's sick. He cannot see well. He's on his deathbed. And in that culture, remember, that is when the blessing is going to be given. The blessing was that transaction of the family over to the firstborn son. And Isaac knows that his time is here. It's, it's time to go. And so he tells Esau, hey, go out and shoot something delicious for me. Come back and cook it up, and this will be our last meal. We can, we can share this together, and then I'll give you my blessing. And so what Esau does is he grabs his bow, he grabs some arrows, and he heads out on a hunting trip. 
But now remember back in verse 28, we had read that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah loved Jacob, and she wants to make sure that her favorite son actually gets the blessing instead of her first son. So she tells Jacob that she heard Isaac and Esau talking about how they're going to trick the dying and blind Isaac into giving uh, Jacob a blessing. So what, what's going on here is he leaves and Jacob and Rebekah, they say, hey, let's plan this out. You can scheme your dad. You can get exactly what you want and what I want you to have. So the plan here now is for Jacob to put on a literal costume to pretend to be Esau. He puts on Esau's clothes so he smells like an outdoorsman. He covers his arms and his neck in goat fur so that he felt hairy like his brother. He is in the most real form that we can see in scripture. He's putting on a mask, right? He's pretending to be someone that he's not to get ahead in life. Right, fake it till you make it was kind of what he was living by or, or fake it and just take it in, in this case. But I think a lot of us still do that stuff today. We think we have to put on this mask to try and get ahead in life, to put up this facade or this veneer that people can see. And so Jacob, he gets all decked out in his new Esau digs and he goes to see his father. And that's where we're gonna jump to Genesis 27, verses 18 through 19. Verses 27, 18 through 19. And it says this, when he came to his father, he said, my father, he answered, or my father, and he answered, here, here I am, who are you, my son? And what's interesting is I think that Isaac knew something wasn't right, right from the get-go, right? Who are you, my son? Maybe Jacob was trying to put on his best Esau voice. It, outdoorsman is probably low and manly. Yeah, I'm your firstborn Esau. He sounds just something like that. I need more reverb in my voice when I do that next time, John. How about that? Okay. But then it goes on to say, Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. And I've done as you told me, sit up and eat some of this game so that you may bless me. Right? Jacob pretends to be his brother. And he replies with a straight up lie and deception by saying, hey, look, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob's living up to his name, liar, deceiver. He's living up to his name and it's starting to get difficult now to see why are you even listed in Hebrews 11 as a portion of the hall of faith. But the story goes on and, and their plan works. Jacob deceives his dad. He steals his blessing from Esau and then Jacob lives up to his namesake. He lives up to his namesake. And Esau hears about this stuff and he begs his dad. He comes in crying and wailing, saying, Dad, please take back the blessing and give it to me instead. But the deed had already been done and it couldn't be undone. Remember, that was a legal transaction that had just happened. And naturally, Esau gets so mad. Not only is he red, but he's starting to see red. He gets so mad that he wants to kill his lying and his scheming brother. Not because he stole, or not only because he stole the blessing, but because if his brother was dead, then that blessing's gonna transfer right back to him. Okay, double portion, no more lying Jacob, and then I get my blessing back. But Jacob hears about Esau's anger, and he does something pretty normal. He runs away, he takes off. He escapes from the death that he thinks is, is coming from his brother. And what he does is he eventually meets up with a distant uncle who is pretty shady. He meets a girl, he gets married, he starts a family, and then he settles down for a lifetime of hiding. 
He's hiding from his brother, right? A lifetime away from his mother that he loves so dearly. A life in a foreign land where he really actually starts to feel alone, where he starts to feel forsaken. Even with this blessing and with this birthright, he thinks he has it all, and he goes into hiding, and he gets depressed. Here's what we need to know about this portion in Jacob's life. Jacob was pretending to be Esau, right? He put on a mask. He stole what was not rightfully his. And even though he got the blessing and he got the birthright, it wasn't as fulfilling as he thought it was going to be because he ends up having to go into hiding for his whole life. Well, the thing we need to see here is that Jacob displayed a fake version of himself to the world. And then the real version of Jacob, he had to go into hiding. That's why he didn't get to enjoy anything. He had to go into hiding, even though he puts up this front to think he has everything or to show that he has everything. He has to go into hiding. What I'm trying to say is that Jacob was not even blessed. It was the fake version of Jacob that was blessed. Right? Fake Jake got the blessing, not Jacob. And Jacob really had to live up to his name here. He's really showing his true colors. He hustles Esau out of his birthright. He deceives his dad into giving him his brother's blessing. And then after that, we see Jacob, right? He's not fulfilled. He's not satisfied. He's not happy with anything he's doing in life. He's hiding. He's downright unqualified and broken, right? He's feeling so downright and unqualified and broken that he had to pretend to be somebody else. He says, no, I don't even like this real version of me. I need to put on a different mask and be somebody else so that people will actually like me. And anytime we put up a fake version of ourselves, the, the masked version of me, it's not going to be fulfilling and it will not be blessed. Why? Because it's not the real us. Because it's a lie. And God's not going to bless a lie. God does not bless sin. And so God instead... He's like, no, guess what? I do want to give you a blessing, but why don't I bless the version that I created you to be and called you to be, the real you, because that's the one that I made. He didn't make a version of us and then say, oh, oops, I better cover that up with a mask. Give that one a big Band-Aid on it. No, God started with a version when he knit you and created you in the womb, right? He started with you 2.0 in a sense. And we have such a hard time being true to who God created and called us to be because of sin in our lives. We have a rough time thinking rightfully of ourselves, just like Romans 12, 3 says. It says, don't think too highly of yourself, but think rightfully of yourself. That also means not too low of yourself. You got to think rightfully of yourself. He wants us to be dependent upon him. No, not ourselves or our masks or anything else in life. It's the same kind of dependency that my three-month-old son has on his mother and I. Right, we have to do everything for that boy. And once we start to depend on God like that, then we can see that the fake version of ourselves, the one that we created and thought was better than the one that God actually created and called us to be, that's actually the worst version. But in contrast, the best version is the one that God actually created us to be and called us to be, so be that version. Be that version. God wants to bless the real you. He will not bless the fake version of you. And Jacob finally figures that out after years and years of hiding. 
So later on in his story, God tells Jacob, say, hey, get up. You've been in hiding for long enough and go back home. Go back to your family. Go see everyone. But don't worry because I will protect you. And so he gets up and he starts to head back and he catches wind that his brother Esau knows where he's headed. And so Esau is actually on his way to meet him. Now remember the last time they were together, Jacob had stolen his birthright and his blessing and Esau wanted to kill him. And Jacob's kind of freaking out, you know, rightfully so. You get big Ted Nugent coming after you, you, you might be freaking out a little bit too. But Jacob sends gifts to Esau trying to buy him off. Right? He's like, hey man, you know, I, here's a big check for you. Please don't kill me. Right? Hey, here's a Ferrari. You know, you're going to get through the desert a lot quicker on this than you will a camel. Maybe take that instead. But one night, Jacob says, you know what? This is, he's getting too close. He's still coming for me. He's not stopping. He takes his family and he moves them to the other side of the river and all of his belongings. He says, if he's still going to come for me, he's still looking for blood then maybe my family can be spared and they can get away while he kills me. And on this night, he's, he's sitting by this campfire and he's, he's all alone. It's the night before Esau comes up to meet him and something strange happens in chapter 32, verse 24. It says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And what we can find out from this story is that the man who wrestles with him is actually God himself in the form of an angel. Jacob doesn't know this yet, but he does know that this guy is something very, very special. Right? He wrestles with this guy all night long, and eventually uh, this, this guy who's wrestling him puts Jacob's hip out of socket with just a slight touch. He doesn't have to wrench him or anything. He puts his hip out of socket with a slight touch. You know, Jacob has to be in a ton of pain. I don't know if you guys have ever had something out of socket, but I could imagine your hip being out of socket. He's in a ton of pain, but he's still not letting go. He still won't let go of this guy. And he tells us that the sun starts to rise, but Jacob won't let go, and he shouts at this man. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob knows that whoever this guy is, he actually has the power and the authority to give a blessing to somebody. But the man, he doesn't just say, okay, here's a blessing. The first thing he says, he demands to know. He says, you want a blessing? Fine. What is your name? Tell me who you are. Now let's hit pause for a minute there. Remember, Jacob has heard these words before, right? He's been in the same exact situation. Years ago, he was standing in front of his blind, dying father, and he asked him the question, who are you, my son? And he pretends, he says, hey, I'm Esau. Dad, I'm your favorite. I'm exactly who you want me to be. I'm whatever version of myself that you like right now. Just let me know what that is and I'll put that mask on so I can be that person, Dad. And the last time this happened, Jacob, for, he asked for a fake blessing, in, in a sense, is what he did. And remember how that worked out for him? He went into hiding he was all alone in a foreign land with a sketchy uncle named Laban just so his brother wouldn't kill him. But this time was so different. The man asked who he was. Remember, he's wrestling with God, so God obviously knows who he is, but what he's doing is he's like, hey, you tell me who you are. He's getting Jacob to fess up here. And he answers with honesty for once in his life. He just simply says, I'm Jacob. I am Jacob. 
Don't miss this here. This is hugely important. Jacob finally became real, right? He stops hiding. He stops pretending. He takes off his mask. He says, look, God, I'm Jacob. I'm the one who's a liar, who is a deceiver, a trickster. God, I want you to bless that version of me. Bless the real one. And how does God respond to that? Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. Your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. Because of Jacob's honesty and his transparency at this point in his life, we can see that he's finally come to the end of himself. He's finally come to the end of himself. No more hiding the real him. No more mask. He just says, God, here I am, mess and all. Will you please just bless my mess? And at that moment, God gives him a new name, right? He gives him a new identity even because he calls him Israel, which actually means triumphant with God. So God basically tells him that, yeah, on your own, guess what? You are a liar and a deceiver and a heel grabber and a trickster. But with me, now that you're at the end of yourself, I'm gonna show you what it looks like to be triumphant with God. Right, saying that maybe that's who you were before you came to the end of yourself. That's your old nature, but don't call yourself that anymore. Don't call yourself that more. Maybe you were a liar and a deceiver and a cheater, but now, now that you've met me, now that you've confessed and repented, that's not who you are anymore. Right, because it says there that Jacob struggled with God or Jacob or I'm sorry, Jacob struggled with God and with man and he prevailed. But Jacob prevailed in a sense, not that he had beat God, but that he endured through his struggle, right? Until God thoroughly conquered him. When you battle with God, there's only one way to win, and that's by losing. You can only win by losing and not giving up until you know that you have lost, until you've come to the end of yourself and you wanna live for him and for his purpose alone. That is how Jacob prevailed. And once he prevailed, God says, I'm gonna call you Israel, right? He flipped his life around. He did that definition of repentance. He went 180, right? He eventually, he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. He becomes the father of the nation known as the Israelites who are God's chosen people. And I've told you guys a little bit about my life story before coming to Christ, my, my BC days. But even in that time, I still had the lingo down, right? I could spout off Bible verses. I knew the right things to say. I knew the right church mass to put on when I needed to. And then after Sunday was over or Wednesday night was over, then I could take that mask off and I could put on the, hey, the party mask or I could put on the, hey, everything's fine in my life kind of mask or the who do you want me to be kind of mask, which is the Jacob mask in this sense. And that may have worked with people, at, le at least for a while. But that didn't work with God at all. God can't be fooled. He knows the real you. But here's the great news. Even though he knows who you really are, he loves you and came to die for you anyways. That's what Romans 5.8 tells us. He loves you anyways. So what's the point of being fake? Just be real. Be the real you. He won't love the fake you, but he truly loves the real you. And I know when I finally came to the end of myself, stopped trying to be somebody that I wasn't, 
you know, finally got to the end of trying to please people and only strive to please God, then I actually, I became free. It was a sense of freedom. It was a breath of fresh air. And I was able to see myself as who I truly am now in Christ Jesus and who I've been called and created to be. Right? I'm a child of God, the most high God who is loved and cherished, who is knit together for a purpose, who is not unqualified like the world says, but is qualified because I put my faith into Jesus, that living faith into Jesus Christ. So my question to you today is, where are you at with all of that? You know, maybe you're hearing some of these things and thinking, yeah, I need to be who I'm created to be and quit being a fake version of myself. Maybe I need to quit playing church. Maybe you're ready to now be Israel and stop being a Jacob. Maybe that sounds like a breath of fresh air, just knowing that you can be real with the God of the universe, who he has created you to be. Now, don't pretend anymore to be someone that you're not, because while you were still a sinner is when Jesus died for you, mess and all. He knows you. What I want to challenge you with this week is just something simple. Just be real. Okay, be real. Take off your mask. Quit pretending to be someone you're not. Be real with God first, because like I said earlier, he already knows the real you. He's not being fooled by that anyways. Be real with God, and then be real with people second, because if they have only ever known the fake you, that means that they actually don't really know you. If they love the mask, then they can't really love the real version of you if they don't know you. Right? They don't even know the real you yet to love you. But my challenge is find someone that you trust first. And that's where life groups are great and small groups are wonderful because you can get into a group of people who truly want to walk with you in life and do life with you. You get into those groups and you say, hey, here's the real me. Here's all the skeletons in my closet. Here's the masks that I've been putting on for so long in my life. Here's all the stuff that I've kept secret and hidden in the dark for so long. Do you still love and accept me? And if so, will you please help me clean up this mess called my life? Just be real. And as that challenge sits in your mind, what I want to do right now is invite the the communion team to to prepare to serve communion. And while you guys are doing that, I want the rest of the congregation to just be thinking, what do I need to take to God? What fakeness is in my life? Right? Am, Am I being like Jacob? But if you are, remember, that's not the end. Because Jacob was unqualified. He lied. He deceived. He tricked. But once he wrestled with God, he came to true faith in Jesus Christ. And God qualified him to become the father of a chosen people. And all this shows to us, what this really shows, is that we are never too far away from God to turn to him and say, God, here's the real me. He used Jacob, this liar and deceiver, to become the father of the Israelites. Put your faith in Jesus today. Be real with him and just show him who you are. Let's pray. And then Pastor Dave will lead us in communion. Father, thank you so much that we could come together. And Lord, just know that you are real. God, we know that you are the one who can turn a sinner's heart that you can help us to 
follow you, that you can show us who you really are by everything that you've done and accomplished, Lord. And Jesus, today I pray that if anyone is here who doesn't know you, that they would hear this story of Jacob and realize, hey, you're not too far away from God. That God still wants to use you, that God still has mighty plans for you. But you need to come to the end of yourself. Father, today help us to come to the end of ourselves. Because if we're trying to win your good graces and your mercies by our efforts and by what we do, then Lord, we know that that's not, never gonna work. You're pretty clear on that, Lord. Help us to trust in the faith that we have in you, Lord. You have proved yourself time and time again. We know that we can build our lives upon your foundation and upon everything that you've done. Help us to remember that, Lord. God, as we go into this time of communion, I pray that as we meet with you, as we remember the body and the blood, God, that we would be real. So we're not fooling you anyways. We love you, Jesus. We are so thankful for your sacrifice, for our sins, so that when we put our trust in you, we can have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.